mindfulness mode. It's so small and so simple and so gentle. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Well, Mindful Tribe, there is something about the times we're living in that we either embrace them or we fight them and they just seem like a pain. And I think there's something about embracing our times. And I think that we can just sit back and be mindful and as difficult as it may seem if we let go and accept what is it can make our life much more beautiful and speaking of beautiful i'm here with an author who has put so many incredibly beautiful ideas together into a a very, very well-written and absolutely pleasurable piece of work called Wintering. She's the author of Wintering, and the subtitle is The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times. So I am so excited today to be here with Catherine May, the author of this new bestseller. Catherine, are you in mindfulness mode today? Slightly, I'd say, 50-50. It's uh, it's Saturday, so we have uh, abandoned the kind of schooling today, and we've just been out for a lovely walk in um, a a local orchard, actually, um, because spring has begun to break out here. It it was snowy until early last week. Uh, It's all thawed now, and and suddenly the air is warm and the birds are singing. So... um, yeah, it, I really, I think, particularly at those points when the seasons are changing, it's lovely to get outside and really feel that change taking place. So, yeah, we went for a beautiful woodland and, and orchard walk today. So I'm yeah, feeling 50% there, I think. I've been managing a lot of children stuff too, so. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds, <laughs> it sounds beautiful. And I know you live, you live by the sea in Whitstable, England. Mm. Did I say yes. it right? Whitstable. You said it dead right yes you you said it very beautifully yeah in in the southeast I am so uh I'm just I guess about five minutes walk from the actual sea in my house um and we get along the coast every morning to walk the dog so I get to see the sea in all its different moods which is absolutely lovely yes and it must be incredible not only to see it but to to smell it and to hear it and to just completely enjoy it. What is that like to to enjoy that every day? Oh, it's wonderful. I always dreamed of living by the sea. And I used to kind of say, you know, if I lived by the sea, I'd be there every day. And people say, no, you'll just get bored of it. I will never, ever get bored of seeing the sea. I find it thrilling every time I catch a glimpse of it. And yeah, I mean, I swim all year round too. So you actually get to feel the different textures that the water takes on throughout the year. I mean, it's very, very cold at the moment. I mean, I swam the other week and it was about zero in the water. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has got a really cold grip to it. It's got a very distinctive feeling. And as the season progresses, as it gets warmer, the sea will feel like it slackens off a little bit. It will feel looser. It will feel more effervescent. yeah I mean that's just beautiful and the seabirds change across the year as well we've got a lot of curlew at the moment uh, along the shoreline um you never actually see them uh because they they only go near the shoreline at high uh, low very low tide so you but you hear them fluting um and yeah so there's there's just those beautiful shifts all the way year all the way through the year it's really lovely I adore it well, that's fantastic that you embrace the water and you embrace the cold or whatever mm. temperature the water is. And when you're when you're swimming in the water at zero degrees, are you the only one there or are there other people swimming as well? No, I swim in a group, actually, which, of course, hasn't been so easy this year in the pandemic. And um, we're still allowed to swim in pairs as long as we're distance. But normally I'll swim with a with a group of I, it's like five to ten of us. Um, and that's part of the experience, actually, because entering the water, we all go straight into the moment, particularly when it's cold, actually. I mean, in the sun, 
you know, it doesn't matter so much. But when the water's very cold, you have to be there yes. to be monitoring your body's response, actually, and to be making sure you're okay because, you you know, you don't want to get too cold. No. And it's a really wonderful experience to be with a whole group of people entering the moment like that all together. Yes. Um, and, yeah, I, I really value that, actually. I love swimming alone in the summer. I don't want to swim with other people in the summer. Mm -hmm. But in the winter, it's uh, it's a community thing for me. Um, and about and how long really do you usually it. stay in the water when it's oh, cold? It really like varies. I mean, actually, because we've been swimming in smaller groups this year, I've been taking shorter swims, interestingly. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't wanted to stay in for so long. I used to time it. I used to measure the temperature of the water. But actually, I've, I'm gradually stepping away from that because I began to realise that there's a kind of competitive element to that, a sort of macho element to that that's really undesirable. And that actually to be in that mindful space, I wanted to be entering the water and reading what I wanted to do in the water on that day and what the water invited me to do too. Mm -hmm. And I'm enjoying that much more. I it's You have to fight a lot of... Yeah, a lot of stuff that your head wants to do when you do that but I you know I don't swim anywhere when I get in the water either I just I just tread water I just kind of float around and uh, you know I just experience what the sea brings um and yeah I I love I love that much more so I guess it's probably five or ten minutes in the in the deepest winter um I, th I think it's hugely variable. When it was very, very cold the other week, I think I was a couple of minutes. That was sure. really, really cold. <laughs> yes, sure, sure. Well, I I admire Wim Hof and I love what he teaches. Yeah. Are you familiar with Wim Hof? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. He's a big lover of the cold, isn't he? Yes, he is indeed. And I, I found that it's really changed me. I have a cold shower every day and I just embrace the cold as well. So I, I really appreciate that you swim in the sea every day. That's mm. fantastic. Yeah. It does great things for body and mind, I think, the cold. Yeah, and I think it's very closely related to mindfulness. What does mindfulness mean to you? I suppose it means being present, really. Um, just trying to encounter life as it comes rather than dwelling in the past or the future. Um, but it's also a sensory experience, I think, for me. It's, it's you know, listening to the feedback that my body's giving me. And that is very transformative when you start to tune into that, because actually you realise how often you're pushing through experiences that are unpleasant or that you're denying positive feedback. Um, and so actually, I mean, the sea is, in my relationship with the sea is a really perfect distillation of that mindful experience for me it's about going in being there and reading what is happening now rather than being obsessed with other parts of my experience that that my mind might want to turn to you've written fiction and non-fiction tell me what led up to the time that you decided to write this book called wintering well, I think there were quite a few things going on for me at the time. Um, I'd just published uh, my last book, which was The Electricity of Every Living Thing, which was a book about walking the Southwest Coast path. Um, and during the time that I did that, I was diagnosed with autism at the age of 39. Um, so I'm one of the kind of growing number of women that learn they're autistic quite late in life, having kind of, you know, wondered what they are for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that was a very, very personal book. It was very hard to write. It was very gut-wrenching to write. And I felt quite exposed. You know, I felt very exposed suddenly to people's prejudices and preconceptions in a way that I never had been before. Um, and so I think I, I was looking for a book that was a little bit less personal to write and a little bit more general. Mm -hmm. um, but also I wanted to draw on my experience of, of dropping in and out of life um, you know, throughout the cycle of my whole time on this planet and having periods of poor mental health, of, of physical illness, of crisis and change. And I felt like I was always willing to talk about those times and I could see a commonality between people in, the, in experiencing those times, but I felt like we just didn't talk about it enough. Um, and I, so I was looking for a way to write about that idea, really, and how to cope through those those periods. 
Um, but the idea came to me all at once when I was talking to a friend about her own wintering period one day. And I suddenly said, it's OK, you're wintering. And I, it, it sort of dropped straight into my mind. And I had to go off and make sense of that flash of insight I'd had um, yes. and, and get take take it into my notebook and, and work it out. So, yeah, that's how it happened. But it, it did end up being a much more personal book than I meant it to because um, loads of life happened to me along the way and I wrote about it as I was writing the book. So actually, yes. I I still ended up writing a fairly personal book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it's a, it's a beautiful book. And that's what Elizabeth Gilbert said. She said, this is truly a beautiful book. She said, every bit as beautiful and healing as the season itself. Now, did you have connections with Elizabeth Gilbert? How did it make you feel when she said that about your book, about your writing? No, I have. I don't have any connections with uh, with her, actually. I, she's just an incredibly generous soul. Um, and my publisher sent her an early copy of the book because they thought she'd like it. Mm -hmm. um, and she came back with, you know, just beautiful feedback um, and has been really generous about the book since as well. Uh, so, no, I, you know, even more flattering. She wasn't doing it as a favor for a friend. And, and oh, my goodness, what a... I don't know. I what a compliment. I of all the people. <laughs> well, it blew my mind. <laughs> it's 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 incredible. It's incredible. And you know, I I just felt like almost every sentence spoke to me in a beautiful way. Like you just have such an incredible talent and skill. And and here's a sample sentence that I jotted down. There are gaps in the mesh of the everyday world and sometimes they open up and you fall through them into somewhere else <laughs> and i'm like oh wow like you just put those words together so beautifully and then here's another one once we stop wishing it were summer winter can be a glorious season in which the world takes on a sparse beauty and even the pavements sparkle I guys so appreciate your <laughs> your ability to convey your thoughts and and connect with your reader and it was it was just really really pleasant. I love this one too. This week I braised a hot pot with lamb, carrots and thyme and discs of potato on top. I feel as though I'm cooking autumn into my house. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you hungry. Awesome. Perhaps I should start on cookbooks. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps. Perhaps. Well, it, it's really, really interesting. Well, you said you had a lot of a lot of challenges kind of as you've gone through here. What are some of the biggest challenges you've had in order to kind of move through life? Yeah, so I mean, I, I think a really common experience for people like me who who are autistic but don't get it identified as it, when we're children is that we go through life wondering why we can't quite cope in the way that other people can um, and also like feeling very isolated and and you know experience it's like social rejection I guess you'd say um, and also at the same time like particularly women uh, tend to learn to mask their autism like very carefully to try and fit in and that tends to lead in the in you know the way that it did for me to like bouts of really serious anxiety and depression um and I experienced depression from very young you know and all through my teens but I had a particularly hard bout of it when I was 17 and I you couldn't go to school anymore I couldn't talk I couldn't eat I couldn't do anything um and I think after that moment I found a kind of like survival instinct almost I felt like I'd really hit a rock bottom and I needed to find a better way to live in the world but that didn't stop me from getting depressed over and over again because if your brain has learned to get depressed it keeps going to that space um yes. so I guess you know that that was like a repeated pattern for me um and also like a really common thing for autistic people is physical burnout um you know we get absolutely exhausted by trying to behave in a way that we're not in the world and like pushing ourselves to do things that we actually, you know, struggle to cope with without sure. any adaptations. Um, so I, you know, like I, I had a diagnosis of ME when I was 15 that lasted for a couple of years, but it cleared up. Uh, and then again, when I was in my mid twenties, uh, I had fibromyalgia and had to wow. 
leave my job. So there's been these kind of patterns of like physical yeah. and mental complete burnout, actually, um, which means that I kind of felt, I guess, like I was expert in these wintering periods. Like I, mm-hmm. I knew them as well as anyone, actually. Right. Um, and I think that that fed into the book an awful lot. Yeah. Uh, my son is autistic and, ah. you know, and so it's just very interesting being with him and communicating with him and, and mm-hmm. seeing where he finds his happiness, yeah. where he finds his, his place. His joy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His joy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been, it's been incredible as a father Mm. you know, to, mm. to bring him up. And I mean, one of the things early on I wanted to do was just really give him the space to be who he is. So important. And so many kids don't get that opportunity, actually, you know, they're try they're forced into trying to be different, you know, trying to fit in. Yeah. And yeah, I think I, I've had to learn how to find my joy quite late in life. In yes, fact, yes. Uh, and I, I treasure it. I really do. Um, some of it I found by accident without knowing what I was looking for. But uh-huh. since my diagnosis, I've very consciously looked for it. And I find real community with other autistic people who might find their joy in different things to me. But I recognize that quality of of experience. That's that's what's common across loads of us, I think. Right. Um, How important is alone time to you? massively I I really really need it yeah 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 I really need it and I mean you know this this year has been really hard because all of my family have been at home and I've I've worked from home for a long time because I struggle in offices and you know dealing with the kind of ad hoc conversations that happen in workplaces um so I've been freelance for a very long time um, and I'm used to having a quiet house on my own all day. Mm-hmm. And I, I need that. It, it helps me to reset. Like falling into silence is very, very important for me. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm always desperate for a bit of a retreat. Um, I'm not getting as much of that as I'd love at the moment. But I, I have my ways. You know, I, I lock myself in the bathroom in a hot bath once a day. Oh, and everyone yeah. has to leave me alone. Um, right. Yeah. But it's, that, that retreat is very important to me, definitely. Yes. And how important is movement to you? I know my son, you know, he'll work in one room and then he'll get up and he'll walk in circles and circles and circles. And we have the space in our home that then Mm. he can relocate to another room and then he can walk in that room or he can then go upstairs and relocate there. And he does Mm. that a number of times through the day. Do you resonate with that? It's really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I get up and walk a lot. I mean, I... I need to keep moving. So I sometimes uh, read for publishers. And when I do, I have a exercise bike that I pedal while I'm reading because I just can't sit still for that long. It just, it's just very uncomfortable for me. So yeah, I do. I'm, I'm in constant motion. Um, And I like my office, you can probably see it is a mess behind me, but I I have several different chairs because I like to shift between different locations throughout the day. I like to spend a bit of time working in the kitchen. I'm, I'm a fidget. Um, yeah. But fidgeting is really necessary for me. It's, it's like part of my functioning, really. Sure, sure. You might have heard of someone who's lost weight or quit smoking with the help of hypnosis. As a licensed hypnotist, I work with anyone struggling with an issue. Maybe it's sleep, maybe it's smoking or weight loss. Well, I've lost 35 pounds myself and kept it off using hypnosis. And now I'm offering a beta package and I'm really excited about this beta launch because it means big savings for you and it means I get the opportunity to work with people like you. I have an opening for one more person so act now. If you want to lose weight I've created a video to help you called how to lose weight for good. Watch the short video and then book a quick call with me and you can jump right in now and you'll get 50% off the price of the package so go to mindfulnessmode.com slash weight loss and if you just want to contact me directly email me bruce at mindfulnessmode.com i look forward to hearing from you now back to the show tell me about your podcast i've enjoyed listening to you on your podcast (laughs) and uh it's it's such a pleasure how is it for you have you found it's it's a real great therapeutic kind of exercise 
Yeah, so I started the wintering sessions in the summer, um, you know, kind of a lockdown project, actually. I know there's been loads of, I think there's been a real creative flourishing this year of people starting new things um, as a way of defeating that sense of isolation, really. Um, I wanted to talk to other writers mainly about wintering experiences of their own. I wanted to kind of dig into all the different ways that we fall through the, those cracks into somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, it's been really wonderful. I, you know, it would have been very hard to do before the pandemic, because I think we've really normalized talking on Zoom yes. um, and like everyone's got this skill set now, haven't they? Yeah, they have. And it, I mean, certainly in the UK, it's probably different for you guys because you're further geographically spaced out. But in the UK, before lockdown, podcasts were recorded face to face, you know, and oh, yeah. you would have had to have found a meeting space and, you know, book times. And like, I'd have found that completely exhausting. Um, but the pandemic has opened up the opportunity for me to be able to say, hey, shall we, shall we have a chat over Zoom um, and recorded it? And yeah, it's been lovely. We have really intense conversations about one point in somebody's life and what they learned from it and what the what the kind of aftermath is for them. Um, and it's it's really beautiful. I, I absolutely love doing the recordings. And I, I've recently hired a producer to help me with all the other stuff because it was all getting too much. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I listened to your episode with Michelle Harper. And ah, yeah. that was that was really interesting to She's hear. Wonderful. Yeah, she is wonderful. She has a lot of insight and you really seem to connect so well on that on that uh, interview. When you first did your first one, how did it feel? <laughs> I I mean, I, I interviewed someone I knew relatively well for the first one, um, and that helped. Okay. Um, but actually, it you know, it felt like the kind of conversation you have with somebody at one o'clock in the morning after you've kind of worked your way up to it for a long time. I, I think we, we kind of shortcut into some really deep chats, um, and I, I just loved it. I loved it right from the start. I always aimed to not really edit, you know, to kind of produce conversations that just could go out whole. Um, and I'm quite comfortable with the messy bits in them. I, I love that. There was um, the episode I released the weekend before last was Kerryne Doherty, who's this fantastic Irish writer yes. who grew up during the Troubles in Northern Ireland. Um, and at the beginning of our interview, my next door neighbor started sweeping her chimney like the, we're joined on. Uh, and so you could hear this like, <laughs> I was yes. like, oh, what are we going to do? And Kerry said, no, 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 no. Because she's really steeped in Celtic mythology. She said, this is a bit of magic because uh, in Celtic mythology, the hearth is the ultimate thin place between us and the and the other world. And she said, this is an opening up for us. This is really symbolic. And so we carried on talking through the sound of my neighbours <laughs> cleaning out her chimney. Um, and I, you know, when I talked to my, I handed it over to my producer, I was like, you've got to keep the chimney sweeping in. I know it's going to sound awful, but it's actually really important. It was really key to the conversation. And I, yeah, I, I actually love that it's a little bit untidy and that it's really about the, the strange directions that conversation takes. <laughs> well, that's interesting that you say that because sometimes if I'm in a space where someone is so organized that it seems like everything is pristine, mm. then I get a little bit uncomfortable. Are you like that sometimes? Yeah, I I mean, I feel like that about fancy restaurants, for example. You know, I, I love food, as you will have guessed from my book. Yes. Um, but what I absolutely hate are restaurants where everything is over-controlled and you feel like you're going to make a, a mess there by just existing. Um, I, I think a little bit of untidiness is all right, actually. I think it's good for us. And I think it's it's human and it's real. And I I don't like anything that's too slick. I like stuff that's got texture. Yes, texture. Reality. And you, you use that in your book, like chunky socks. There's the <laughs> texture. <laughs> yeah, It just brings up an immediate vision. I love chunky socks. I, yes. I could I could record a whole podcast about chunky socks. They're, they're the best. I love a chunky sock. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing more comforting than a chunky sock. <laughs> that's, that's cool. Well, as a mother, how does mindfulness play a role? Mm. 
do you know what? I thought it would play a different role. You know, I thought I'd be teaching my son about mindfulness really carefully and, you know, schooling him in, in, in what I know about mindfulness and meditation. And of course, he's entirely resistant to that. Like he's totally disinterested in my stuff. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's, it helps me enormously because it helps me to really reflect on the day-to-day experience of parenting, which is, again, a, for me, like a very untidy, very textured experience. It's not anything like the, the books that you read, like nothing is in your control in the same way that you're taught to think it should be. Um, it's full of emotional ups and downs. It's full of problem solving. And for me, like taking a mindful approach to it means that I consciously engage and stay present and listen to the dialogue that's actually happening rather than trying to impose a pattern that I think should be there or a a way of of communicating, a way of existing that should be there. And I I think I'm getting better at that as we go on. Like I've had a few years now, (laughs) it takes a long time, but you know, there's a there's a part of the book where I talk about um, our decision to take our son out of school for a while when he stopped coping in school. And that was a really, you know, mindful decision that was based on listening to what he was telling us rather than listening to the advice we were getting that was about conforming and, and doing what what everybody else does. Um, and I I really I really appreciate that. But he has a very interesting take now on on mindfulness, because, in fact, it's come during the pandemic when I've managed to take him for longer walks. Like he's always never like kids don't really like walking for long periods of time. Do they They think it's really boring? Um, But at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, right, we're going to walk because we've got to fill a lot of time. Like we're going to go for a walk in the woods. And after a while, and this is what I love about walking, too, that after a while, my mind falls quiet and I watched his mind fall quiet, too. And I, I made a comment to him, you know, like pointing out some moss on the tree or something. And he said, mummy, when I walk, my mind grows branches like a tree. And when you talk to me, you cut off one of my branches. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Isn't that just beautiful? That is so, beautiful. Um, so since then, he now says to me, I, I'm growing branches. I'm growing branches right now. It's really lovely. What a lovely way to think of what happens in your mind when you're walking. So he has his own really distinctive relationship with mindfulness and and he's found a way to to talk about it too, which I think is just lovely. That is, that really is. You have had, you have had essays published in the New York Times, in Good Housekeeping, in Cosmopolitan, in the Times, in your own area in London. What was the first publication where you kind of really went, oh my gosh, like this, like how did that feel and what was it? Oh my goodness. It's probably going back a long time now, but um, Mm -hmm. I, uh, before I really had owned my ambition to be a writer, uh, I was temping in an office, um, having a really miserable time because temping is always a really isolating, grim experience. And you're always doing a job that nobody else wanted to actually do. Yes. Um, and I started reading the um, satirical like websites at the time, like The Onion and places like that. Yes. And I submitted my first piece, not to The Onion, but to a UK version of it, and they accepted it. Uh-huh. And that, I, do you know what? I That's the, the biggest leap of pride I think I ever had about writing because it was the first time somebody had taken my writing on spec and liked it and, and put it up for loads of people to see. But the format of that was that they always changed the name of the author and gave you a like comic name. <laughs> oh. I never got my byline. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but actually, I mean, I have to say that the first time I had an essay published in the Times London, which was a long time ago now, and I haven't actually written anything for them since. That was a, that was a really amazing moment. And it, it led to my auntie Alison ringing me up as well because she'd spotted it. So that was really nice too. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> I got That's spotted. Cool. It was good. Yeah. It was so lovely. Catherine... How do you deal with rejection? How do you deal with the negativity of of the haters or any or rejection if you send your essays out and, and you're just not getting anywhere, nobody's accepting them? How do you deal with that? Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, writing is more about the fallow periods than it is about the periods when you're on a high. And I don't think that's necessarily very visible to the outside world. I actually, I teach an online course called Wintering for Writers, which is is really about that, because I think to cope with writing as a as either a hobby or a career, you have to get really comfortable with failure, rejection and, and just general upset and unsettled, you know, sort of dealing with criticism that isn't even big criticism but it's it's amazing what can unsettle you as a writer because you're actually this kind of very enclosed ecosystem and other people's opinions come in and it, it freaks you out um I I mean there's a few things for me one is that I accept that some things will be upsetting and I like I think it's really important to not deny those feelings like if you get a bad review or somebody coming at you online or whatever it is um then that hurts it's painful mm-hmm. um and i i think being with that pain is really interesting and i you know i quite often take that into my notebook as well and really interrogate that feeling like what what's upset me about this why is this affecting me why can't i shake it from my mind and and you you learn some really fascinating things I've found that often those points are points of change for me, interestingly, when a piece of criticism has really bitten me and I or or like a rejection or or failure to get, you know, in the right in the place that I thought I ought to be. Um, that's often led me to points of real change um, it, because actually it reveals what you actually want and how you want to be seen and what you're trying to transmit, which I think sometimes is quite opaque to us. So that's important for me. I also, I really, really, really believe in not engaging with people that are just being rude to you. I think we all have this sense of politeness that we have to reply to every tweet or every email. I think it's some it's misplaced in in the bigger wider marketplace of social media you know this is not a village this is just a great big swimming pool and some random people will always come at you so i i just i do a lot of ignoring actually if somebody's Mm -hmm. insults me on social media i just don't reply i don't need to argue with them i don't need to defend myself i just don't respond and it knocks an awful lot on the head Mm -hmm. I haven't got the energy to deal with people being rude and I'm just I find it really uninteresting and I like I don't respond to feedback that I haven't invited uh and that because actually I you know I listen very carefully to feedback of people that I love and respect and professionals whose you know advice I've solicited but I don't need to listen to the feedback of every random person who's got a crazy agenda that's nothing to do with me so yeah you you know you grow some techniques over the years I think (laughs) you've done a lot of writing of fiction and non-fiction which do you prefer I like having the mix actually I like switching between the two I I mean i in truth, I'm a big non-fiction reader and I'm not a huge fiction reader. Um, so in lots of ways, I think it's the non-fiction where my heart lies. But writing fiction comes to me, like the ideas come and I love exploring them. I love the acts of writing them. Um, but also it's like a rest, you know, it's a different mode of thought from the, from the uh, non-fiction. And so I just, I tend to have both on the go at the same time um i i love my fiction a lot less i have to say i i never i never feel as confident with it and i never feel as certain about about the quality of it i think really um and so i publish it less but i'm but i'm often writing it even if i'm not publishing it so yeah it's quite um it's quite important to me to have both. I, I really, I love making stuff up. It's really, really fun. Um, and I think, it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> yes. it's, it's childlike to do that. Um, but I also feel a bit silly about that sometimes too. You know, like you've got these two sock puppets and they're talking to each other in the book that you wrote. And you look back over that and you think, is this weird? I'm not sure if this is weird or not. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine, so, yeah. what would you do if you could do anything 
that you haven't yet achieved? Do you have like a project or a place you want to go or something you want to, something you want to experience that you've not yet experienced? Mm, that's so interesting. Do you know what? I don't, I don't know that I do have a big thing in mind. Like I, yeah, having, having books out in the world and having people talk to me about them and being able to write the next one is everything I ever wanted quite seriously. And I'm just, I really love that. I think if I had a dream, it would be to feel more like more firmly fixed in that pattern to not feel like this is a sort of weird holiday I'm taking for a while and I'll be working in McDonald's next month, you know? Right. <laughs> um, but do you know what? This is this is it for me. This is what I wanted. I don't, you know, I'm not going to run for president one day or anything. Mm-hmm. We have taught creative writing in a university and loved that, but left it. I love having my own creative writing school online as well because I get to do stuff my way. Um, I love doing stuff my way. Uh, you might know that from your son too. Like it's a, yes. it's an autistic. Yes. We've got our way of doing it, and yes, that's the way it's going to happen. <laughs> that is it. That is it. Accept it or There's don't no accept it, but that, that is yep. it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, my way or the highway. Um, that's that's kind of lovely for me. I'd love to travel more in the next few years, but I have a young child in school, and I, you know that's not something that's really that accessible to me at the moment, it, you know, except for kind of small bursts of it. It's good. Life is okay. I'm, I'm content and contentment is what I've always wanted. I'm not, I'm not sure about the highs or lows either side. I, I like contentment. That's good for me. Right. Tell us about relationships. What advice would you have for one of our listeners right now who maybe is struggling with relationships in their life? Mm. Mm, something I've thought a lot about. I mean, I have I have a lot of friends, uh, but I tend to form intense friendships and I'm not interested in kind of casual acquaintances. I don't I'm not very interested in shallow relationships, I guess. Um, but I used to worry a lot about why people didn't like me enough. You know, I it's a Funny enough, I was just reading the new book by Joanne Lindbergh, who's writing about the experience of being seen as weird by other people mm. and kind of trying to claim that as a, as a life experience. And it's really beautiful. And she talks a lot about how she realises that she's uncanny to other people. And I thought, yeah, I, I can relate to that from, from my youth, you know, knowing that my relationships weren't quite landing in the way that I thought they would and that people weren't receiving me in the way that I expected. And it took me a very, very long time to realise that often the people I felt most rejected by, I didn't like them that much either. You know, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. I wasn't giving myself permission to reject other people. I wanted everyone to love me. And I, I also wanted to like everybody and I wanted to click with everybody. And again, like this is an insight that came from my diagnosis that I realized that I'm allowed to just like who I like and it's allowed to sink or swim. We can't be best friends with everybody. And that the the true friendships that I have are the things that I value the most in my life. And, you know, and also like my increasingly long marriage. I've been married since I was 21. So we're coming up to, yeah, yeah, we I got married quite young. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think often we push ourselves to have relationships that don't suit us and to be something to other people that is harmful to us or that drains us. And I, you know, it's another thing to go into mindfully and to think about whether you are enjoying this company, whether it's pleasurable to you, whether it's fulfilling whether it's nourishing whether it's nurturing all of those things I think quite often when we engage with those questions we realize how we force ourselves through environments that that don't suit us and don't make us happy and I I mean I'm a great one for walking away from friendships that aren't working that aren't making me happy and that you know that might be controlling or might be manipulative or or whatever 
I wish everyone would learn that skill. I think we'd save ourselves a lot of heartache, actually. Well, you've let go of that previous belief. What are your words of advice on letting go? What is our best way to learn how to let go? It's hard, isn't it? Because, yes. you know, controlling things is is like what we, it comes so so automatically to us. And I, I think you have to analyze your relationship with it. I don't think you can learn to let go without deliberately thinking about that. It's, it's not something that just occurs. I think you have to truly realize and truly believe that you're controlling, you know, your sense of control, your reaching for control is harmful to you. And you have to engage with that pattern, like keep looking at that pattern in you. And then it's a practice, isn't it? It's yes, never, it is. <laughs> it really it's never is. something that you solve once and for all. Yeah, uh, you know, that's true. It's an absolute practice to deliberately relinquish your urge towards control and towards controllingness. Yes. And you just have to watch yourself do it sometimes and observe it. I mean, this is this is where meditation, I think, is hugely helpful because those are exactly the moments that tend to replay for me yeah. when I'm meditating. And I do you see meditate myself. daily. Yeah, I kind of, I guess. I used to meditate in a much more fixed pattern. I used to do 20 minutes twice a day. Mm -hmm. I haven't been able to do that since I had my son. Uh, but I take time out every day, but in a much more fluid way. Sure. So that's the only way I can do it now. So that might be at bedtime. You know, it might be a quiet moment before everyone gets up. It might be a pause at lunchtime. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I just like spend some time, yeah listening and pausing and and trying to kind of sink into my consciousness a little bit um right. and i i find that that really helps with those practices like breaking down control um and tuning into to the stuff that you desire rather than the stuff that you're telling yourself you want as well um yeah it's really but it you know that the i i think we we peddle a lot of false ideas in this society about how we can solve stuff you know how we can solve control issues for example how we can solve relationships like they, those stink things will never get solved but we can work on them and we can we can improve and we can get better and we can have a more conscious relationship with them yeah so true Catherine yeah. have you ever been bullied or do you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference Mm, I was bullied at school a lot, uh, you know, because I was so different. Yeah. But also, I increasingly think that I was quite unkind to a lot of other people at school as well. You know, it's so easy to recognize your own victimhood without yes. thinking about the the sort of wider impact of that and how, you know, I... I was I was really unkind to some girls at school. I would never assume myself as a bully. I'd assume myself as very anti-bullying and I'd assume myself as bullied. But when I look back, I think, God, how must they have perceived my behavior? And I, yeah, mindfulness would have helped, right? Because it, yes. I would have had a, it, you know, two things. A, I would have had a sense of my own behavior, a better handle on the way I was behaving. And I would have apologized sooner and I would have corrected my path. But also... I would have loved to have had a better grasp on my own self-esteem and my own self-compassion and self-worth and been able to think about why I was so attracted towards my bullies too, because that's part of that transaction, isn't it? That you are somehow drawn towards the people that bully you quite often because you want their approval. And the more they bully you, the more you want, the more you seek that in a, in a kind of weird way. I wish I'd been able to to sit with that at that time. Um, but it's interesting, I, uh, I dealt with a bullying situation in my last work, other people being bullied. And the person that was bullying, I was the only person they didn't try it on with. And I that was very interesting to me because I think like I they knew I didn't care. They knew my self-esteem wasn't impacted by their behavior or opinion. Right. And they left me alone. And it was very interesting trying to untangle that for other people, you know, and dealing with the, the real trauma and hurt that came from this person's behavior. Mm -hmm. It was really damaging and created an incredibly toxic workplace. 
and it was yeah seeing that amongst adults really shook me actually because I think we think that we leave bullying behind in childhood and we really don't there are some people that cannot let go of that pattern wow so true wowie yeah <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> Catherine, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers okay. are perfect. And the first one is this, who is one person that has been a very powerful mindfulness influence in your life? Oh, uh, Lauren Roche, the great meditation teacher who lives in California, absolutely incredible meditator and mindfulness practitioner. Catherine, how has mindfulness affected your emotions or how you deal with your emotions? It's helped me to reach a more of a level situation, I guess, to, to avoid the extremes and to get on top of extremes when they come. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. I don't enjoy very kind of controlled breathing, but I enjoy watching what my breath does and, mm. and being with that rather than jumping on top of what it is doing. Your book, Wintering, is wonderful and I highly recommend it. If you could recommend another book by another author that's related to mindfulness, what would that be? Ah, oh, that's really hard. I, I adore uh, Alan uh, Watts, um, The Wisdom of Insecurity, which I write about at the end of wintering, and I'd recommend that to anyone. I think it's beautiful. Okay, The Wisdom of Insecurity. I'll put that into yeah. our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. If you could share an app, any kind of app, which could help with a sense of mindfulness, what would that be? I think for me, that would be my to-do list app that I use, Trello, because that helps me to clear out my mind in order sure. to focus on the more interesting things. Yeah. Yeah. That Making makes really effective lists. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, you teach writing. It's Wintering for Writers. It's on your website. And uh, your website is catherine-may.co.uk. That's it. Yeah. Catherine is with a K. K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E. -E, right. So many ways to spell Catherine. Yeah, Honestly, never call your children Catherine. It drives you crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a lot of different ways. Tell us if we were to sign up for your for your writing workshop, Wintering for Writers, what would we expect to achieve from that? Or what would we expect to take away? Yeah, so Wintering for Writers is a it's an online course uh, for people who are already writing or want to write and can't for whatever reason. So it might be that you've hit a block. It might be that you've suffered so much rejection that you just don't feel like you can go on. It might be that you're not even getting to the point where you get the rejection in the first place. Um, so it, it's a it's a 10 part analytical course, completely self-paced that takes you into a reflective space and asks you to really look at the values behind your writing and to really think very mindfully actually about the, the way you see yourself, the way you model yourself as a writer and the pressures that you put yourself under. And it, it's really about learning self-compassion and learning to find a way forward that isn't forceful, that isn't painful, um, and that isn't full of self-hatred. Um, I've tried to make it very, very beautiful, like a really beautiful, immersive experience for people that can't go on a retreat or take themselves off to a spa. Um, it's, it's online beautiful, as beautiful as online can be. <laughs> and, and what does it look like? Are you teaching it in real time? Are they recordings? How does that work? It's all recorded, actually. Um, I have a uh, I have another course that runs a couple of times a year. That's about it's called Writing Your True Story. That's all about learning to write your first piece of creative nonfiction. That has more teaching moments. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, wintering for writers was something that I realised people wanted to do in quite a lot of privacy. They didn't really want to interact with other students because of the sense of shame that they brought into this. And mm -hmm. I hope over the course of the course, they understand that that sense of shame is completely misplaced. But nevertheless, it's actually uh, it, it's got recordings of me talking and uh, like talking to camera and uh, also with podcast 
content and workbooks um, and special texts that I wrote just to just for that course. And it's really, really something that people can take into their own private space. It, it's very, it's very nesty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like building your own writing nest to, to help to recover and restore if you're suffering a crisis. <laughs> I love that image. <laughs> it's very nasty. And I didn't know nasty, nasty was a word. <laughs> I don't think it is. I think I've just made it up. <laughs> I think so too. And I think it's I'm a great use it word. Again. <laughs> it's a great word. Use it again. Yeah, maybe I'll use it too. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for being on. Nasty today. <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show. What are your final words of advice? If you were to advise someone who wanted to become more connected to mindfulness and more connected to themselves and to just have a better state of groundedness, what would your advice be? I think not to force anything, you know, this is such a gentle thing. It's, it's passive. It's something that you drop into rather than barge your way into. And you can access mindful states so easily. Like if you just watch the sunrise or the sunset every day, or I mean, my thing is that I go outside every morning and I just sniff the air. I just see how the air smells every morning. It takes a couple of seconds. And that's that's all the work that mindfulness actually is. It's a tiny focusing of consciousness rather than a big charge into a spiritual space that's full of pressure <laughs> um it, it's so small and so simple and so gentle and that teaches you this vast array of things and helps you to grow branches in your mind eventually like my son does <laughs> <laughs> Catherine it's been such a gift to not only read your book but now get a chance to spend an almost an hour with lovely. you do you know what it's been nesty it has it's been, been a nasty, nasty experience. Thank yes, you. It has been totally nasty. Yes, it has. Yeah, thank you so much. And I just wish you all the best and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. And you. Bye-bye. I will. Bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening, for subscribing, for reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, and thanks to Erica Flint's Cascade Hypnosis Center for being our valued sponsor. Hey, Erica, we really appreciate you, and Erica is a terrific teacher of hypnosis, and I know that because I am a graduate of her program. Now, if you're a healer or a coach or a counselor or someone who just loves helping people, Consider the powerful results that can be achieved with hypnosis. You can become a hypnotist, just like I did. Contact the team over at CascadeHypnosisCenter.com. And if you'd like to work with me and break through some of those mind blocks, maybe lose weight, maybe quit smoking, maybe it's something else, I would be so thrilled to work with you. And as you've already heard on the show, I'm doing an exciting new beta launch. I've got room for three people. So reach out to me. Just go to mindfulnessmode.com slash let's talk for a free short conversation about what I can do to help you. I look forward to hearing from you. That's mindfulnessmode.com slash let's talk. So now take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. <laughs>